All right. Um, turn in your Bibles. Let's get back to Revelation. Turn in your Bibles to uh, to Zechariah. We'll see if we can get it up on the screen here eventually. Okay, so into the Old Testament, right? Um, you've got the Zechariah uh, and um, and then Malachi, right? So go to Matthew and turn left a little. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Okay, we're getting uh, No. They like jelly donuts. <laughs> That's one of their treats. Jelly donuts? Yeah. I might that. convert for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the train. <laughs> but if I have to go to the bathroom like 30 times, that's uh, I'm drinking a ton of water. So. It's not. Uh, it's not any fun. Okay. Um, let me see if I can screen share here. Well, yeah. Thanksgiving is horrible. The Thanksgiving that whole month, and then on Thanksgiving morning this year, I was jogging and pulled a calf, and so. I came in and started eating pumpkin bread, and I had stopped since Thanksgiving. So it's not been good. See how much weight we can gain in a month. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, well, let me open some word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for today and for our time together and uh, for the opportunity to study uh, study the word. And I uh, thank you for those who are here and those who are traveling to look down and keep us safe in Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, of all of the Old Testament prophets uh, that you're aware of, probably Isaiah is the one that you know most verses from. Um, then it might be Zechariah. Uh, you wouldn't think that. Um, it's not a book that is often read. We, the, 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 the Old Testament books we know best are the ones that are most quoted in the New Testament. Right? And so Zechariah is pretty high up there. So uh, Zechariah, let's see here. Let me pull up, uh, uh, see if I can get my, show us where we are. Um Mac just updated everything, new operating system, and so nothing's where it's supposed to be. Nothing looks the same, so it's going to be a slow day. But I figure I better figure it out now before next week when I've got to teach class for for real. Not that this isn't teaching class for real, but I get paid hundreds. <laughs> Okay. Uh, 
See that? Okay, let's see here. Slideshow. Okay, so uh, remember, uh, remember our profits. We've got pre-exilic profits down here, uh, and then the exilic profits and post-exilic profits. Pre-exilic before Israel's kicked out of the land, sent into exile. Then Ezekiel and Daniel write during the time of the exile, um, and then uh, the return to the land. Uh, is Haggai, um, Zechariah, Malachi. Um, Haggai is um, about rebuilding the temple. And then Zechariah, uh, you know, kind of now what? So there's part of it is building the temple. Uh, one of the first eight chapters of rebuilding the temple. And then 9 through 14 of Zechariah is where we'll spend our, our time. And then the book of Malachi. Uh, the probably you Baptists know Malachi because of the tithing verse. <laughs> You're not Baptists, you don't know Malachi. Um, the uh, the one verse that probably is most relevant to the New Testament from the book of Malachi is uh, Malachi 4-5, uh, which is, um, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great... Uh, uh, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. And so you remember when, uh, this is in John chapter 1, uh, when uh, when the Pharisees come to John the Baptist and they ask him who he is, and they ask him, are you the Christ? He says, no. Are you the prophet, you know, the greater Moses? He says, no. Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Um, and that Elijah... Um, uh, reference is going to play throughout the Gospels. Um, he is Elijah if Israel repents. If Israel doesn't repent, then John the Baptist is not Elijah. Uh, he comes in the spirit of Elijah, calling Israel to repentance. Does that make sense? And so um, there are those who say, and I probably, I'm one of them, would say that the two witnesses at the end uh, in the book of, of Revelation, one of them is Elijah the prophet, calling Israel to repentance, pouring out judgment upon Israel. Okay, but back to Zechariah. Okay, so Zechariah, uh, probably Moses, probably Moses. Yeah. Um, you get this uh, when Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, you know that you will see the kingdom. Um, and then they see uh, Moses and Elijah. Yeah. So probably what's, uh, what's going on there is to look for. But anyway, so Zechariah. So turn to Zechariah uh, chapter. Let's pick this up in chapter <clears throat> 7. We'll look and see where, where we need to start. Build a little context here. Um uh, I guess chapter 6 um, chapter 6 verse 12 but then say to him so this is uh, the, 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 it's, the discussion is the rebuilding of the temple um, and the reestablishing of uh, worship in the temple and um, so um 
So Zedekiah is the high priest, uh, and uh, then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, uh, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. Uh, it is, uh, and he will bear the honor and sit uh, and rule on his throne. And so we're um, getting the coming together of the priest and the uh, and the king in the, the book of, uh, of Zechariah, um, united uh, in uh, in one person, the Christ. Jump forward to chapter chapter nine, and this is where you'll start to recognize some of these verses. Um, so this is talking about the restoration of the nation uh, and the the appearance of the Messiah in chapter nine. So. So chapter 9 through chapter 14 is going to basically walk chronologically from the, from the time of Christ until the return of Christ. Okay, um, So here's a verse you know. Uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Uh, shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, and so the Christ appears. Now, you'll remember that not every detail of the story is restated by every prophet. Okay? And so by the time, I mean, we're pretty far into the Old Testament, right? We're book 38 or 39. Okay? And so um, you're supposed to know what's going on if you're a reader of the Old Testament, if you're an Old Testament Israelite. Um, that the Christ is going to appear, and what's going to happen? How's Israel going to respond to the Christ? Okay. Don't reject it, right? Uh, the chief cornerstone, uh, the builders, the builders are going to reject. Uh, Israel is going to reject uh, Christ. Um, they're going to reject the Lord, reject the rock of His salvation, uh, and um, and so then the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles, right? Um. So uh, chapters 9, chapters 10, chapter 11, talking about the rejection of the Christ. Okay? Um, uh, the, um, the picture is of Israel led by uh, evil shepherds. Okay? The good shepherd comes, the evil, uh, the, the evil shepherds reject. Right? And so Israel is led by evil shepherds. Um, you'll get this story in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice, I call them by name. Um, you are not, you know, it's going to talk about the hireling who's not the shepherd. And when the wolf comes, he runs away. That's John chapter 10. Zechariah, uh, also Zechariah chapter 11. Um, Chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, And the Lord said to me, Take for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Talking to Zechariah, Behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing. Seek the scattered, nor heal the broken, nor sustain uh, the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd uh, who leaves the flock a sword will be uh, on his arm uh, and uh, on his right eye, 
His arm will totally be withered. His right eye will be blind. Okay, so this one is left with a right hand withered, right eye blind. You remember Jesus heals the blind man in John chapter 9. Then the Pharisees call in the blind man. They interview the blind man. Then they bring in his parents. His parents say he's of age, ask him. Um, and then uh, flip over there. Let me just instead of summarize, let me, let me remind you of it. This is John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus heals the blind man. Then um, he goes, he, he uh, pick it up in verse 35, 935. Jesus heard that they had put him out. They put him out of the sanctuary, put him out of the temple. Um, if anyone claimed Jesus to be the Christ, they would put him out of the temple. Um, what's going on in this book is the Pharisees claimed to, to control access to God. Right. This goes all the way back to chapter 4. Remember the Samaritan woman? You say you worship God on that mountain. We say on this mountain. What do you say? And Jesus responds, the time is coming and now is when you won't worship God on that mountain or this mountain, but you will worship through me. Through, you know, uh, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay. And so that's what's going on in the Gospel of John. Jesus heals the blind man. They kick him out of the temple. And so he goes. Uh, and verse 35, and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And he says, you have all seen him, and he's the one talking to you now. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him, right? Didn't worship on that mountain, didn't worship on this mountain, but worshiped the Father through the Son. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees, who heard uh, these things, said to him, we, uh, we are not blind too, are we? Right, this is Zechariah uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11. Uh, Jesus said, if you were blind, then you would have no sin, but say you sense, because you say we see, your sin remains. Um, and so now he's going to explain that access to God is through the gate. He's the gate. They go, huh? He says, okay, let me explain it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm in chapter 10, verse 7. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep does not hear them. I do not hear them. I am the door. Anyone who uh, enters through me shall be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, 10, 10 the thief are the Pharisees. It's not pride. It's not Satan. Okay. Look back, um, truly, truly, I say to you, he who's not, chapter 10, verse 1, who's not does not enter by the door, uh, he is a, but comes in some other way, he's a thief and a robber, okay? Talking about the Pharisees who don't come through the door, they don't come through Christ, they try to enter into the kingdom some other way, they're thieves and robbers, right? And then, um, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, verse 7, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. See it? All right. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hiring is not the shepherd. Uh, he's not the owner of the sheep. Behold, he sees the wolf coming. There's the Satan, if you want to find Satan in this passage. Uh, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Right. So remember back in the... The good shepherd, the, the evil shepherd, doesn't care about the perishing sheep. He doesn't care that they're scattered. Uh, when danger comes, he flees, he rejects them. Okay. Um, 
I am a good shepherd. I know my own, and and so on. Okay, so so Zach, so that's a passage that, that's out of Zechariah um, that ought to be familiar to you. Okay? So in Zechariah eleven sixteen, where it says, "I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not fear for perishing," that's something more specific. Uh, yeah, raise up a, a shepherd, a leader. Um, it's not a specific person. It's like a false teacher or something. Or what does that mean? Yeah, I think it's just it's it's a reference to the the uh, uh, the Pharisees, the the false leaders, not the Christ. In contrast to the Christ, and so the promised Christ comes. Israel rejects, uh, and they're led astray by uh, by these false false prophets, false teachers, false shepherds. It seems like it's talking about someone specific when the sword will be in his arm and on his right eye and his arm will be withered. And right well, before it, you've got three shepherds. So um, in chapter so just, verse 11, uh, verse 8, I have, then I annihilated three shepherds, one of them. And so uh, something's going on here, but, um, but all of this corresponds to, so maybe it's the high priest um, during the day of, of Jesus. Um, certainly he was the leader of the Pharisees. And, and so anyway, so then it continues. Uh, chapter 12, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 1210. The spirit of grace, uh, Zechariah, 1210. The spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like a bitter weeping over the firstborn. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning uh, of Hadramon in the plain of, uh, of Megiddo. Okay? And so they're going to look upon him whom they're pierced. They're going to mourn. And then in that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David, 13.1, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. The fountain will be open. In other words, they will believe in the Christ uh, and um, and his death payment will, uh, will now be for them. Is that talking about at the return? Uh, when they when they believe. We're talking about revelation. Yeah, we're talking about, so this is mid-trib point. They look upon him whom they pierce, they mourn, they repent. A fountain will be opened for them. And it will come about in that day, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets, unclean spirit from the land. Right? Um, so until that time, there's going to be false prophets. They're going to say all kinds of evil. And it will come about that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and his mother who gave birth to him will say um, to him, you shall not live. Uh, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And uh, his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Um, we, it's an interesting time we live in where in the Old Testament, the penalty for false prophets was death. And in the future, it will be death. But somehow now we're tolerating them. right? And the reason we tolerate false prophets is because we don't know the word. False prophets proclaim false words. 
right? And so the only way you know if there's a, if someone's a false prophet, you've got to know the word. Since we're our our culture is biblically illiterate, and increasingly our churches are biblically illiterate, um, we go by what sounds good, good ex, you know experientialism sells, right? Um, much of what happens in our churches today is trying to to produce an experience, and then reproduce that experience and it's like a crack addict who can never quite get enough you know that first one was always the best one you know the youth camp that you went to where you came to jesus and now you're always trying to re you know experience the spiritual high and uh, um, and there's a lot of leading astray in the midst of that so anyway um so prophets will be cut off uh, there will be these last two uh, prophets, um, witnesses, they're called in the book of uh, Revelation, um, probably Elijah and Moses, who will call Israel back to repentance um, and uh, return to the Lord. They will look upon him whom they pierced. They will believe and the fountain will be open for them. Salvation will come to Israel. Making sense? Okay. Um, chapter 14. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken uh, 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 from you, will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And uh, the city will be captured and the houses plundered and the women ravished and half of the city will be exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. And in uh, that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. Um, I should have some pictures queued up uh, for you. Um, I think we've talked about this before. The Mount of Olives um, is the next hill over from Temple Mount. Okay. Um, it's as the crow flies, I don't know. It's yards, not it's measured in yards, not miles, right? Um, thousand yards, something like that. When you're coming into Brenham from Chapel Hill and it starts to go downhill, you can see the overpass. Yeah, there you like go. That. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, if you're at South Texas Tech, um, it's, it's the next overpass. <laughs> yeah, yeah it yeah, might not even be that far. Yeah, it's not far. Um, and, and on that hillside are all Jewish graves. Why? Because they know Zechariah 14. <laughs> they think that's his first coming, right? Well, they, well, one thing's for sure. When he appears to defend them, that's when it happens, right? And so what they missed, what Israel missed in the first coming was the suffering servant. Um, but it seems that that's all that the church focuses on is the suffering servant. Um, there's something flying around on Facebook. Uh, maybe it's just, I'm getting it, but um, one of the professors sent it. It's a picture of a, it's kind of half of a face of an animal, and you can tell it's a lion. And, uh, and it says something like, he's not a lamb now. Yeah, he came as a lamb. 
He's not a lamb anymore. And when he returns, it's not going to be good. Right? And so what we miss is the, uh, the one who comes to, to wipe out the nations, to destroy all wickedness and evil. Right? Um, and so this passage is looking towards uh, the return of Christ. At the return of Christ, what happens? What coincides with the return of Christ? When his feet touch down, uh, all who were in the tombs will be raised. Right? And so they're buried there, anticipating their resurrection. Right? Not a bad spot to see it from. They'll get to see it first. I don't know how that works. Um, but for them, it's going to be immediate. <laughs> okay. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, chapter 14, verse 4. Um, and the Mount of Olives will split down the middle from the east to the west in a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. This plain that is open, this is where the judgment, uh, the separation of the sheep and goats happens. This is where the judgment seat of Christ happens on the eastern gate. Right. And so the eastern gate um, is just right across, you know, it's, it's the eastern side of Temple Mount. Uh, that's the, the beautiful gate. Apparently there's the, uh, there will be a giant plane opened up. So the judgment seat of Christ, that's not heaven when he takes the first off. Mm -hmm. It's during the day of the Lord. It's, it's uh, the establishment of the kingdom. And we'll get to that. So there's going to be a discrepancy of 45 days uh, between um, uh, the, um, the second half of the tribulation, 1290 days, and the beginning of the reign is 1335 days. So there's 45 days there um, that is the judgment seat of Christ, where judgment is rendered, uh, rewards, Positions in the kingdom, and then the kingdom uh, is going to to begin. Okay, so in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem. These Mount of Olives will be split in the middle, half towards the north, half towards the south. And you will flee by the valley of the mountains, for the valley uh, of the mountains will reach Azel. Yes, it will. Uh, they will flee. Uh, um, and so what happens is the nations are going to surround uh, Jerusalem. The Christ is going to return. Uh, they're going to, uh, the nations are going to flee north. He's going to go north. Christ is going to go north. And he's going to uh, meet them at Har Megiddo. You know, it's Armageddon. Uh, Har Mountain Megiddo, uh, or Hill of Megiddo. Megiddo was a city, right? So, um, Har means hill or mountain. It's not a Colorado mountain. It's a. It's actually a tell. A tell is a, a hill where a city was built and then destroyed, and then another city was built on top of it and destroyed, and another city was built on top and destroyed. So, so that's what a, a tell is. So it's Har uh, Megiddo, um, and uh, the, there's a great plain there that this final battle place takes place. Um, it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord. There will uh, neither day nor night 
It will come about at evening uh, time that there will be light. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half towards the western sea. And it will be in the summer as it is in the winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name will be one. In uh, the land uh, will be changed in, uh, into a plain from uh, Geba to Ramon from south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from the Benjamin Gate as far as the place of the first gate, to the corner gate, to the Tower of Hanael, uh, uh, to the king's wine presses. And the people will uh, live in it, and there will be no more curse, and Jerusalem will dwell in security. Uh, now this will be the plague, uh, which the Lord will strike uh, all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot. They will not stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot out of their sockets. Their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them. And will seize one another. And you know, so it's, it's kind of like the Old Testament battles where Israel doesn't fight. Uh, the presence of the Lord shows up and the enemies destroy themselves. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, and Judah will, uh, will also fight uh, at Jerusalem. And, um, and then it will come about, verse 16, that anyone who's left of all the nations who went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will uh, be that whichever of the families of the earth which does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, uh, the Lord of hosts, uh, there will be no rain upon them, right? Uh, and so this is during this millennial kingdom that if the nations don't worship the king, then the judgments are poured out upon them, right? To get them to repent and, and return to the, to the king. So you're gonna see a lot of this um, language uh, in the New Testament, in the book of, of Revelation. Everybody tracking? Is that making sense? So so the book of Revelation does not um, tell you uh, what's going to happen. That's already been explained. Uh, you had 39 books of the Old Testament, um, the four Gospels, and a little bit of addition, not much, very little. Extra information added in the epistles. It's just the book of Revelation that tells you uh, not what's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. Make sense? Okay. I was just going to ask you chapter 11. Yep. Yep. Potter's Field. That's Judas. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you're going to get a bunch of all of these uh, these prophets are going to take you right through the New Testament times, uh, and so um, so the gospel narratives are not anything particularly new. Um, when you're reading the gospel narratives, none of it should shock you if you know the Old Testament, right? And so. Um, so these gospel writers are writing to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Well, how do you do that? 
And he said, we'll see what he's doing, see what the Old Testament says, connect the dots. <laughs> um, so there's nothing new in the New Testament, except the Spirit. Um, but, but as far as um, that which was foretold is coming to pass. So it was introduced, foretold in the Old Testament, coming to pass in the New Testament, and then the authors of the Gospels point to Jesus, point to what he did, and point to the Old Testament and say, see, they match. And that is why we believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not because of an experience. It's not because of your personal belief. It's not because of whatever. Um, um, this is how the New Testament writers validate Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah of the Old Testament. Make sense? Um, when uh, we went, to, when I went to Israel the first time, I think I might have told you the story. Um, we were we go when you go there, you go from site to site, and you see the sites. And there's a guide that takes you. Uh, they're required in the state of Jerusalem, state of Israel. Um, and then after they introduce you to the site, then there's you know usually whoever's guiding you, will, you know, share a Bible story or something like that. And um, and so Christian tours come in other than this last year, they're there all the time. <laughs> and uh, and so these guides have heard it all. They've heard every bad Bible interpretation there is. And so it seems like every trip that, that goes over there, you know, the, the group says, I'm like, we're going to pray for the guy and we're going to lead him to Jesus. The guides are Jewish. Yeah, they're Jewish. They're unbelieving Jews. Many of them, not all, but, but many, many most. Well, it never works. It never works. Why does it never work? Uh, because you don't know the Bible. Um, the word is going to lead them back to Christ, right? But it's not the word reinterpreted or reimagined or however you view it. So, so we're going, um, and this wasn't my intention. I wasn't trying to get these guys saved. I was trying to just explain what was going on in the Bible in the uh, in the different sites and so they would do their deal it was the bus driver and the guy they would do their deal and then they'd kind of get just to where they could hear me because when i'm done they could come back in and present it to it. and so the first day they're about that far away but as the day progressed they kept getting closer and closer until about the second or third day the guide would sit right beside me and he was that i can tell you he's actually listening and so about the end of the third day, this is when we were up on Golan Heights, if you don't know this. Um, I get cornered in the bus by these, the guide and the bus driver. And the, and the guide asked me, wait a second, do you believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament? He said, uh, yeah. Like, have you not heard this before? No. No, we just thought that Jesus was some religious figure that Christians worship. We didn't know that it had anything to do with the Old Testament. What? <laughs> what have these people been teaching and preaching when they come here? Right? Um, the point is, uh, and so then they ask, well, do you have a, is the New Testament in Hebrew? I said, I have no idea. Well, the next day I get on the bus and they found the New Testament, um, a copy of the New Testament in Hebrew. Um, and they had a lot of questions. But the point is, there's nothing new in the New Testament. 
All of this stuff was straight out of the old, right? Um, but if we don't know the Old Testament, then the New Testament becomes very variously interpreted. And uh, this isn't hard. It's not open for interpretation um, because if you read it in about 39 books and then it happens in Matthew, um, the, the meaning of what happens is not a mystery. Does that make sense? What's, why do you think it's that interpretation? Because it's been that interpretation for 39 books. And now it's happening in the Gospels. It's happening in the book of Revelation. Right? But if, so this is why it's so important when we're studying Revelation that we know the Old Testament and the Gospels because then um, you'll understand why Jesus says to the Pharisees all the time, have you not read? Right? I love that question. Have you not read? It's not, well, you know, it's this way because I say so and I'm Jesus. That's not what he does. He says, have you not read? Could they really read back then? I mean, they didn't have, they just had scrolls in them. Certainly, yeah, certainly the Pharisees. And and that's what was to be taught in the the synagogues. Everybody tracking, just making sense? Okay. So when we get to, flip over to, to Revelation chapter 19. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Yep. This last uh, two verses, it talks about the cooking pots and or the bowling pots, and all the sacrifice will come and take out of it. But that's not talking about a, a burnt offering or a sacrifice on the altar. That's more or less they come and bring their goods from their country. When they come in. Okay. Um, so let's let's back up a little bit. So why was Israel created as a nation? To be separate. To be separate? separate? Or, 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 be, be holy. What does that mean? Just means to be separate. Separate from what? <laughs> the other nations. How? Represent our Lord. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, to worship the one true God. They're they're worshiping pagans and they're they're separate, holy, so they're not going to intermix with them. Not, now what was their function? To be a kingdom of priests, all the nations, right? So they were going to represent the Lord to the nations. Um, that's what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom, right? Um, and so uh, in Ezekiel, uh, we're going to get, um, you're going to get a re- rebuilt temple, a future temple from now. Uh, and there will be temple, turn over to, to Ezekiel. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and let's. So in chapter thirty-six, uh, so so Ezekiel is going through the same story, right? Chapter thirty-six. Um, uh, go back to uh, we can pick it up even in chapter thirty-four. The one true shepherd appears. Does that shock anybody? It shouldn't. Um, from the end of, from the book of Genesis on, you're looking for the shepherd to appear, right? Uh, the shepherd, the rock of Israel, okay? Uh, the Old Testament's talking about this. The true shepherd appears. Uh, he judges the nations, right? Exactly what happens in Zechariah. Uh, then uh, Israel uh, repents, returns to the Lord, uh, and, uh, and they are um, gathered back, dry bones, right? Uh, resurrected, 
Israel stands up, their, their bones stand up, the flesh returns, the spirit comes in, and they are in the land. Okay. Uh, then uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 40 uh, begins with this vision of the, the temple, this temple that is going to rebuild. Uh, chapter 40, chapter 41, talks about the outer court, chapter 42. Then the glory of the Lord returns to the temple in chapter 43. Uh, and uh, you have burnt offerings offered in the temple during the millennial kingdom for sacrifice. Right? Sacrifice for sin. Uh, chapter 43, verse 19, and you will give the Levitical priests who are from the offspring of uh, Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me. Uh, and uh, they're going to uh, uh, take the bull for sin offering and burnt offerings. And they're, you know, they're going to, there's these uh, seven days, they're going to prepare these, uh, these burnt offerings and they're going to um, um, prepare the temple for service. Then in chapter 44, it talks about uh, the service of the priests all the way down through chapter 45 and what the priests are to offer during the morning. So, so um, the temple is reestablished and temple service is reestablished and Israel is a, um, a kingdom of priests to the nations. But the nations still sin. Absolutely. And therefore that's why they have these. Yep. 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 Looking back to the promised or back to the once for all sacrifice for sin. See, the Old Testament sacrifices look forward to it. Uh, the, the Millennial Kingdom sacrifices will look back to it. What do we do today? Is there anything we do today that looks back to the uh, once-for-all sacrifice for sin? Communion? Lord's Supper? And that is sufficient because the king priest is in the temple in heaven. If he were on earth, if Christ were on earth, um, he could not offer the sacrifices because he's not of the correct line. Right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, well, there's uh, there's several sacrifices in the Old Testament that, that do that. Okay. Chapter eight. So, so the writer of Hebrews is explaining that in this current time, he's writing to Jewish believers, explaining that in this current time, um, uh, that we have a great high priest in heaven. The the main point of what I've been saying is this. We have such a high priest that has taken his hand, or taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Verse 4, now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. If Christ were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Why? Because he's from the tribe of Judah. And the law dictates that in the land, it is the tribe of Levi that is to offer the sacrifices. Right? And so when he returns as the king, 
it goes, it looks back to his sacrifice uh, on the cross. Um, he's making intercession for our sins now as king priest, right? But now the, the, the nation will be a kingdom of priests to the nation. Does that make sense? Still, still sacrifice. The only, there's only one sacrifice that mattered. Look forward to it in the Old Testament, look back towards it uh, in the New Testament. Okay. And they have to believe. And if they don't believe, they perish. Um, and so the first resurrection, uh, we're going to talk, it's going to be two resurrections. The first resurrection is going to take place at the return of Christ. That's the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of the nation of Israel. Uh, then second resurrection uh, will be the great white throne judgment where all the unbelievers will be resurrected and they will be judged according to their deeds. And because of their deeds, they will be cast out. So look at Revelation chapter 19. All right. I think they're still... Yeah, the, the, um, so Revelation chapter... Uh, so, so remember what happens. Okay, Israel enters into covenant with Antichrist. Um, the judgments are uh, of the two, and the two witnesses appear: Moses and Elijah. Uh, the last two prophets they pronounce judgment upon Israel, so that Israel will repent. Where are they located again? Those prophets. Physically, where are they in Jerusalem? They're going to be in Jerusalem. It doesn't say where. No. Uh, they're going to lay dead in the street. So Antichrist is going to kill the prophets. They're going to lay dead in the street for three days. Israel's going to send gifts to each other, thinking, yay, great, you know, we picked the right team. Then they're going to hear this voice from heaven calling to these uh, two witnesses. The witnesses are going to stand up on their feet, be resurrected, and ascend into heaven. Antichrist is going to enter into the king. All of this is Old Testament. Okay? Antichrist is going to enter into the uh, to the uh to the temple, cut off temple sacrifice. This is called the abomination of desolation, right? Israel is going to repent. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced, and they're going to believe. Um, when you see the abomination of desolation, uh, flee into the wilderness. Israel is going to flee into the wilderness. Uh, Michael is going to wage war with Satan in heaven, going to be cast down at the same time. Satan is going to be on earth. He's going to pursue the woman Israel into the wilderness. Christ is going to, then the nations are going to uh, surround Jerusalem. Christ's feet are going to touch down. Chapter 19 of Revelation, he's going to head, head north and wipe them out. He's going to establish the millennial kingdom. His rank, chapter 20. Right? And so this is what the book of Revelation is doing. It's just walking you through the story for probably the, I mean, you get the walking through the story in at least eight or ten of the prophets starting with Moses, uh, and then several of the prophets just walk you chronologically through what happens. And so it all met, it all matches, it all fleshes, uh, fleshes out. So to study the book of Revelation is to study the first 65 books. It's not really studying the 66 books. So Revelation chapter, um, uh, uh, chapter 19 
uh, I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse. He who sat upon is called faithful and true. And in uh, chapter of 19, verse 11. Uh, and in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Um, and uh, his eyes are a flame of fire and upon his head many diadems. And his name is written upon him, which no one knows except himself. Uh, and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's Isaiah 63. His name is the word of God, John 1, 1. Name which no one knows except himself, Daniel 10. Uh, his armies, which are in heaven, clothed in uh, fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, Psalm 149. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, Isaiah 11, so that he might smite the nations, Psalm 2, and rule them with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, uh, Isaiah 63. And on his name, and on, uh, on his robe and on his thigh is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can find that everywhere. Uh, and I saw the angel standing in the sun. And he cried out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of, uh, of God, in order that he might eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit upon them. Uh, the flesh of men, both free men and slaves, great and small. That's Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, Ezekiel 39. There's myriads of places. Uh, you'll even get this language in, remember the uh, David and Goliath story? Um, where Goliath pronounces a curse on David and said, the birds will eat your flesh. Well, got it backwards. Right? But this is common curse language throughout the Bible. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence that he deceived, uh, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. Um, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which comes from the mouth of the one who sat upon the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel coming uh, from the abyss, having the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And these things, uh, after these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones, and they who sat upon them, judgment was given to them, and the souls of those who had uh, been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast nor the image, had not received uh, the mark upon their forehead or uh, upon their hand, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come uh, to life until the, uh, until the thousand years were completed. So all the believers are resurrected. Unbelievers are going to be resurrected after a thousand years. Right? Um, this is not particularly complicated interpretation if, you, if you've read the novel. If you turn to the last page of a novel and try to make sense of what's going on in the final scenes, you're going to have a whole bunch of questions. But if you read the first part through the last part, it would be pretty straightforward. Making sense? Okay. So the rest of the dead did not come uh, to life until uh, the uh, thousand years were completed. This is the uh, 
This is the first resurrection. Blessed is holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. Over, this, uh, over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, the second death has no power. Um, turn back to, uh, to John. Uh, John chapter 11. All right, so we were in John chapter 9, heals the blind man. John chapter 10, I am the way, the truth, or, you know, I am the, uh, the gate. Um, chapter 11, then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember this story. And um, you remember Mary and Martha, they said, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't die. Uh, and Jesus responds to them. I'm in chapter 11, verse 23 of John. Um, Your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. That's what we just read. Believers died and are resurrected. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, they will not undergo the second death. They were dead. They were raised, they live through the thousand-year reign, and they will never undergo the second death. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. Right? Those who reject Christ will be resurrected at the end, right? So they won't live through the thousand years, they'll be resurrected, judged for their deeds, and will undergo the second death. Make sense? Pretty, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Good. No idea. Um, no idea. Uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where we get the the where the church has got the levels of hell. I can see how I could come up with levels of hell. <laughs> right, and you know think that some people need to be in worse hell than others. Um, but, yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I, it's not, I don't find it in here. Um, is it making sense? Okay. And so the extent to which we know the story is the extent to which the end of the story makes sense. If we don't know the story, um, then the end of the story doesn't make much sense. So when we decided we were going to do Revelation, we really committed to going back and 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 not learning the story because we don't have time to go through all 66 books. The goal here is to convince you that if you don't know the beginning of the story, the middle of the story, you won't know the end of the story. And so to compel you to go back and, and read it. And, and, and when you go back and you read about the battle of Gog and Magog, you're not going to find a whole lot of application for your life today other than God's in control, the end is coming, just as he said. Right? Um, and, and by the way, that was always the motivation for the believer to endure. God is faithful. He will keep his promises, so endure. Right? In the midst of suffering, endure. In the midst of trials and tribulations, endure. In the midst of injustice, endure. Right? They're going to persecute you. It shouldn't surprise you. Um, Unfortunately, we've come to the place because there are so many false prophets and false teachers among us 
who are teaching, if you come to Jesus, it's all going to be great for you. That when trials and tribulations and sorrows and sufferings and persecutions come, that shocks us. And people desert their faith. Because they were believing in a Jesus that would fix their problems now. And Christ never did that. Lazarus was raised and died again. Um, The promise was always a future hope. Resurrection, eternal life. So, present endurance, future reward. And if that's not your theology, then we need to work on it. In, uh, you know, in this day, we will have troubles. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells Timothy, suffer hardship. Um, all the way through the, the epistles, they're suffering. All the way through the story, starting with Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. The Christians, the believers, have always persecuted and always suffered. But their hope has always been a future hope. Does that make sense? So, um, so the imperatives that are going to be in the, the, the epistles are pretty straightforward. Pray for one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, love one another, um, encourage one another, endure, fight the fight, keep the faith, run the race. There's treasure in heaven, stored up for you. Righteous king will reward you, and not only um, you, Timothy, but all those who, not only me, Timothy, but all those who look for his return. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Good? There's 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 debate on Gog and Magog. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll talk about Gog and Magog and the timing of that. And that's gonna to have to do with uh, with Revelation uh, and uh, thirty-eight as uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight. But we'll get there. We good? It sounded like every other book of the Bible. Let's turn to this book. What does this say? Um, endure. Hang in there. I know it's bad. 2020 shouldn't shock you. It should be the norm. <laughs> in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers, the powers. And I never really did get the against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, mm-hmm. but in Revelation there is still war being raged, and so now that's making sense mm-hmm. more yeah. because there is that yeah. the yeah. two powers that are that yeah. are fighting and playing, and it's being played out in our midst. Yeah. So don't be shocked when there are wicked and evil people. I'm shocked that sometimes it's me, but <laughs> so maybe that shouldn't be shocked. So let me close word of prayer. We're done. Lord, thanks for today, for our time, uh, for our church. Lord, thanks for Tim's birthday today. Uh, so uh, thank you for him and his uh, faithfulness, Alan, and for all of the pastors and folks who serve us here at the church. And so 
Lord, be with us today. Be with Tim as he preaches in the service in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.